Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I have become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. We are continuing in a series we are calling Normal People Problems, where we're tackling challenges that impact everyone, like nutrition, finances, home management, and parenting. But we're looking at the unique challenges faced by those on the front lines, along with tools to help you manage these areas a little easier. Today, I am joined by Sandy Young and Albert Ho. Sandy is a self-directed investor who successfully generated a six-figure stock market portfolio and owns several rental properties. As a TEDx and keynote speaker, she teaches female millennials how to invest in the stock market and real estate. With her award-winning book, The Money Master, Sandy has been featured in hundreds of media outlets, including CTV News, Global News, Forbes, The Globe and Mail, and Toronto Star. She is also a columnist for Money Sense, where she shares her personal finance expertise with young adults. Sandy proudly partners with CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. For every book purchase, she personally donates $2 to assist this charity with mental health research. Her vision is to help people feel comfortable conversing about money and mental health as both can be sensitive subjects and have an impact on our daily lives. Albert Ho is a highly sought-after keynote speaker and speaks to hospitals, agencies, boards, and commissions about the healthcare staffing shortage in Canada and the U.S. He is a TEDx speaker and featured in Authority Magazine, Project Management International, and over a dozen media mentions. He's worked in numerous roles throughout his career from medical secretary, personal support worker, registered nurse, and business owner. He currently supports complex multi-site projects as a project manager at a community hospital in Brampton, Ontario. Albert holds a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from Toronto Metropolitan University. In addition, he completed his Master's of Business Administration from Vancouver Island University, along with a Master of Science in International Management from the University of Hertfordshire. He remains a member of the Canadian College of Healthcare Leaders and has achieved the Certified Health Executive designation. I'm delighted to have them both on today to share their insights. And I want to let you guys know that if you jump over and find us on social media, we are doing a book giveaway of each of their books. So I have two of Sandy's books, 
two of Albert's books. They are all autographed with um, inscriptions inside, and I am so excited to be able to offer those as a giveaway. So go jump onto social media. Find me over at, at Lindsay A. Foss on Facebook and Instagram and jump in on this chance to win a great book. For now, let's jump in. Welcome, Sandy and Albert. I'm so glad to have you here on Behind the Line. I'm really excited for us to get to talk about this topic. It's actually, so talking about money has been a thing I personally have been working on more in my own life, and I was really excited to get to try to bridge into this topic a little bit more. And Sandy, when I found out about your work, I was so thrilled And then said you were so great to say, oh, and my husband is in this profession. Like he probably has a bit of a unique perspective in on this. And I'm so excited to get to speak with both of you. Great. Thank you, uh, Lindsay, for inviting us on. We're really excited to be able to share our personal finance and um, healthcare experience with Mm -hmm. you today. Yeah. So looking forward to uh, telling you a few interesting stories, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I bet that there are some. So why don't we start with a little bit about your guys' background? Tell me about yourselves and what led you into the work that you're doing. Sure, I guess I'll start off first. Um, yeah. So uh, for me, I graduated from university with a business degree um, about a decade ago. And so I knew that um, for me, when this happened during the 2009 economic recession. Oh, good um, timing. Yeah, perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, really hard to find a, a job, but luckily I, you know, landed my first job um, event planning in the hospitality industry. And I knew that as a young adult, I needed to save up for life's milestones, like saving up for a car, a house, my dream wedding, mm. going on vacation and eventually retiring. And so I had started working and saving money. And um, I decided to go to one of the big banks and put all my faith in one of the financial reps. And uh, not long after, I ended up losing thousands of dollars from Mm -hmm. high-fee, high-risk mutual funds. And so from that experience, I felt like I was being burned. And I really wanted to take matters into my own hands. And that's where Mm -hmm. I became a self-directed investor. And I was able to earn a six-figure portfolio by the age of 27. Um, But even then, it felt like a really lonely journey because money has been a taboo subject. And so um, Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I met my now husband where, um, you know, we were part of Toastmasters and mastering our public speaking skills. And then um, we decided to both publish our own books, mine on Mm -hmm. um, wealth and his is on health. And uh, from there, that's when uh, it opened up doors of opportunity to be able to have conversations about money. Um, And not only that, I'm also really passionate about talking about mental health because I feel that both of them tie uh, very close together in how we have our, you know, go about our everyday lives. And so, um, yeah, and that's how I've gotten here so far. Mm -hmm. That's a fantastic story. Thanks, Sandy. And how about for you, Albert? Uh, For me, I graduated from uh, Toronto Metropolitan University here in Toronto, and I began my nursing career at Sunnybrook. So I worked on the general medicine ICU uh, unit for a couple of years. So obviously lots of uh, shift work there. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I kind of got tired of the shift work. So I was like, oh, let me try being a care coordinator. So I did that for a couple of years. And then I got approached by an old friend saying, oh, let's open up a, a CPAP business. I'm like, oh, sure, right? And so I ran that uh, business for a couple of years, yeah, owning and operating uh, a CPAP clinic. And yeah. so currently I'm a project manager leading uh, large and complex projects um, at a hospital in Brampton. And um, 
and then as Sandy mentioned, after publishing my book, I started to uh, get approached to speak to larger and larger groups and want to sort of share my experience on the front lines. And so now I'm a keynote speaker as well, uh, speaking to hospitals mainly about nursing um, uh, burnout, uh, recruitment and retention, and mm-hmm. um, just trying to make uh, a contribution to make the healthcare system better. I feel like you must be in really high demand right now, given yeah. some of the retention concerns we've seen in the last few years. Yes, and it's it. Let's just say that I've heard about you know, um, you know, healthcare challenges even before starting nursing school. That was actually one of the reasons why yeah. I got into the profession. I was like, oh yeah, my parents were like, it seems like there's a lot of demand for nurses, and here we are with the same types of issues. Like, but it's 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 a very complex issue. So it's not just as simple as opening up more spots, right? Yeah, totally. You're right. It is a really complex issue. It's actually really funny. So um, when I reached out to Sandy, I had been directed towards Sandy by somebody else. And I didn't know about you, Albert, at all and what you did. And Uh so when Sandy came back and was like, hey, so also I'm married to this person who and I read your bio and I was like, there's a person who does this. That's amazing. <laughs> and so to have you both on, I'm actually just really excited about this conversation. But I feel like Albert, we probably need to reconnect somewhere down the road and have just a conversation about some of the staffing challenges that have been happening because I think that's a piece clinically I'm hearing so much about. Um and then in this role for sure get a lot of feedback about from followers on social media and emails from our audience and things like that. But I think so today we'll keep you and more... I will follow up. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll try and uh, I'll I'll try and put in as much as I can, but I'll try and keep that as a separate thing for the yeah. sure. <laughs> circle back around. Perfect. Mm-hmm. So Sandy, let's start with this. What are some of the challenges that you see in your work? when you consider working with specifically first responders and frontline workers, as it relates to their finances, financial literacy, and wealth building? Yeah, so um, uh, when it comes to this uh, group of people, you know, uh, typically in Canada, we're seeing that these workers tend to be in very stable jobs, um, you know, and they're part of a union, uh, at least Mm -hmm. in Ontario, it seems to be that way. And so um, they know like every year that, you know, they'll get a certain pay increase and they can rely on it, um, you know, and they have seniority and whatnot. And so that's really great. But being a frontline worker, they often, um, you know, have to put other people first, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to remind themselves that they also need to take care of their own well-being, right? Um, You know, whether it's their health and their financial wellness as well. And even as simple as, um, you know, a couple of things, whether it's paying yourself first from every paycheck, meaning that whenever you get paid from your employer, whether it's bi-weekly, say on a Friday, that Mm -hmm. you automatically set aside a certain percentage of your paycheck and contribute it to um, your savings or even an emergency Mm -hmm. savings fund, Um, you know, because those are some of the the basic things that they can do. Um, Another tip is to invest into uh, or contribute into your employer pension plan. So for example, in Ontario, we have something called HOOP. Um, And so that way, um, you know, you are 
um, making sure that you are setting yourself up financially for the future and in, in your retirement years. Right. Um, and not only that, but um, assigning a beneficiary, um, you know, to all of your accounts. So that way that, you know, in the event that you pass away, um, that you have a say on who you want to, um, you know, pass your, um, you know, your estate and your uh, mm. investment accounts to. So hmm. just those couple of things um, are will really uh, help you in your situation so that um, you won't feel, I guess, as financially stressed. Yeah. Okay. Albert, I'm curious as someone who's been in the position of being in shift work and, and public service funded mm-hmm. work, if you have your own kind of views on what it's like to try to manage finances, because mm-hmm. you're right, like most people are in jobs where they have a sense of, you know, what they're going to be making next week, next year, even three years from now, depending on how long the collective agreement goes for. Mm-hmm. Um And yet one of the things I find with a lot of the clients I work with, as well as just people that I talk to, and I think this is true, not specific to first responders, just people in general, but actually quite a lot with first responders is that their finances feel quite reactive. So it feels like they're always kind of working to solve the next problem um, as it comes and hits them, as opposed to feeling like they get to be as proactive with their finances as I think they would like to imagine being able to be. So I'm curious, Albert, what are your what are your experiences and perspectives on this? Yeah, so I mean, I don't work with frontline workers in terms of their finances, uh, but as as someone that has done shift work as a registered nurse, I think the mindset at that time when I was younger was just sort of maximizing my 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 shifts and my work hours. And just to share some of my experiences with that is that. You know, most hospitals, um, you know, there's always uh, the, that need for overtime shifts, right? Totally. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the, you know, every week my manager would start to ask for volunteers around, let's say, three o'clock saying, hey, well, who wants to work those overtime shifts? So I would raise my hand because at that time, you know, uh, I didn't have a son. Um, I didn't have any family to worry about. Right. So I would just start mm-hmm. uh, accepting these overtime shifts. So my 12 hour shift would become a 16 hour shift. Right. And mm-hmm. um, so here I am. I wasn't planning to stay till 1130 at night and, um, you know, so I'm going to be hungry. I'm going to be tired. And the only reason why I would say yes to those shifts was because my manager asked, right? We were maybe short because someone was sick, something happened so that someone on the night shift couldn't make it. But I never really thought about the impact that it had on uh, my own health, um, my own family, because, you know, uh, at that time I I just kept saying, yes, yes, I'll, I'll take these overtime shifts. And in some ways, even I felt like uh, I was becoming burned out, right? I mean, for yeah. normal people that don't work shift work, they would never imagine working like Christmas or New Year's. But frontline workers, this is normal to actually end up working one of these stat holidays, right? Uh, I mean, I think I've worked almost every single uh, stat holiday at some point. And, you know, at that time, you think, oh, I'm, I'm earning a time and a half, right? It's a one and a half totally. times your hourly salary, which is a, a great temporary benefit. But then you start to see how it wrecks your your sleep schedule um, mm-hmm. and you know your, your social life, right? Because I would end up missing um, social events, uh, birthdays, and even weddings because I simply couldn't get the time off sometimes because it's not that easy to to just take a take a shift off, right? So, yeah. you know, my one tip would be just to not focus as much on maximizing the overtime. Really try and have some uh, work life balance because you know you've only got one body, right? So you really got to take care mm-hmm. of your body and your mind. 
Well, and it is, I actually really like that you brought that up. And I love um, even the parameters you offered around it. Like at the time, I didn't have my son or at the time, Mm -hmm. right? And I think it is, it's one of the things that we do when we're younger and earlier in our careers where we're like, yeah, I'll just say yes to everything Mm because cash Mm -hmm. is great. And Mm -hmm. that's my vacation this year, right? Like (laughs) it makes a lot of sense at the time. And not to say that that doesn't still have like feasibility, but it's also this piece of we don't necessarily have awareness for how that's going to carry forward, right? Like I am creating a relationship to my work and to my employer that says you should be allowed to expect this of me because I've always said yes. And so then when I do get married and have a kid and I have this life I'm building, it becomes harder and harder to say no because I've always said yes. Mm -hmm. And it's harder and harder because the pressures even from outside of us are what do you mean no, right? Like you've always said yes. So we always thought we could rely on you forever and ever and ever because you've Mm -hmm. always been reliable, Right. And so it's hard because it it's shaping in this moment a future that becomes harder and harder to set new boundaries and parameters around for ourselves. And so there is, I think, value in trying to structure that early, knowing that I can still pick up, you know, some overtime shifts to help pay for that thing that broke at my house or the whatever. But that I maybe shouldn't be saying yes to all of the things just because right this second I'm in a situation where I can it doesn't necessarily mean I should. Mm-hmm. And, and would you believe that some provinces like Quebec, they actually have mandatory overtime, which is something I've recently learned. So learned does about. BC right now. They oh, do. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So these are small, like Ontario, it's it's kind of like optional overtime, right? They ask um, workers and it's kind of like by seniority in some ways, but I can always choose to say no. But yeah. at, the, at that time, I just felt like I was, I was getting asked all the time. So if you're in a province that does have mandatory overtime, that means you, you actually have to work the extra mm-hmm. four hours, right? So, and yeah. that's something that it's kind of like a systemic issue because your union is obviously agreeing to this in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like with their approval, they're kind of allowing their workforce to become burned out, right? So I know that totally. Quebec is actually looking to remove that uh, mandatory overtime piece potentially. There's been calls mm-hmm. for it um, because, you know, some nurses are leaving the profession for good, right? And that's one of the yeah. reasons that they'll they'll say Yeah. I don't know if it's happening in nursing specifically here. I know it's happened with dispatch um, quite a bit where there's forced overtime. Um, I want to say also with paramedics to some extent. um, And it's simply because of staffing shortages that they otherwise don't have sufficient staff. And it's so complicated, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's a much more complex issue. Um, Yeah. Okay. So Sandy, I'm going to come back to you. How do you find it different talking about finances with someone who is a first responder or frontline worker as opposed to more general populations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say that, um, you know, when you are a frontline worker, you know, as Albert had mentioned that mm-hmm. um, with working overtime and uh, getting burnt out. A lot of people are leaving the the industry. And so here we know that um, it is a very uh, high demand job. And so people who go into the industry know that they're um, in much need. And if they want to stay in the position, um, you know, they're pretty much guaranteed, right? And so knowing that they'll have that income, but 
nowadays, you know, in the past year, we've seen the uh, rising interest rates from the Bank of Canada, uh, the cost of living, even as simple as buying groceries, um, you know, gas, like everything, just cost of living has gone up. And so really, it's hurting um, the wallets of Canadian households. And what I'd say to that is that it's, um, you know, good to think about different ways you can diversify your income streams. So not Mm. just relying only on your uh, employer full-time work, but think of ways that um, maybe use your talents where um, maybe you can have a a part-time, you know, part-time job. Or Mm. um, even for us, we have seven income streams from our full-time jobs to uh, rental income to um, investing in the stock market, speaking Mm -hmm. gigs, book sales, uh, brand partnerships, and the list goes on. So um, for us, like we've really thought about ways that we can um, monetize on our strengths and our talents. And that way we aren't solely relying on one source of income and it provides a safety net for us. Um, And I think that's uh, a, a great way for frontline workers um, and first-line responders to also think about that as well. Mm-hmm. I like that piece. I know we did a, a series a while back that we called the Escape Hatch series, mm-hmm. and it was all about this idea of having a way out. Because I think one of the real challenges is some people um, burn out really hard in this work, but don't actually have a fallback plan. Like they intended on doing this for 30 plus years and then retiring and living their best life after that. Um, and the challenge is I think more and more people are seeing that that's not sustainable, um, and are worried that they're not going to get to the retirement because of how much they are killing themselves just to get through any given day of the week. And so I, I think that having the concept of like a side hustle or, right? Like something that you can use that parallels your full-time income. Um, Particularly, I think we had a conversation with one person who talked about like, particularly he was a firefighter. So he's like, I work four on, four off. And in my four off, I can do something. So he's like, you know, I've I've taken like construction jobs and I've done landscaping work and I've, I've done these things because they're a great way to just occupy my time. Um, and they work like a different part of my brain and they let me let off steam from my firefighting job and let me like channel that into other things so that I don't feel like it's just stuck in my body as much. Right. And so I do think that we can choose kind of side pieces that bring us life and that feel fulfilling in different ways that help counterbalance the work as well as help pad the income a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't Albert, mean. do you have anything? Yeah, Albert, do you have anything to add to that? Well, uh, just to share, even from my personal experience about uh, you know relying on a single income source, I still remember um, when I first graduated. Um, you know, here I am, my, starting my first job, and my manager was relying on me to you know to be there every day. But mm-hmm. um, one morning, I actually had like sort of stabbing stomach pain. I was like, oh. This is really weird. And I ended up going to the mm. hospital and I ended up missing a couple of shifts. Um, turns out I had uh, some some stomach ulcers. But even those couple of, I guess, shifts, um, 
it made me realize I, it's, um, you know, if you, if you are relying on a single income stream, something could happen to you, right? That's why we have, you know, for let's say accidental death and benefits, like though it's very real that, you know, you, you may not be able to go into work. And then, you know, I, I did actually lose some income, right? So that mm-hmm. really was a hard lesson for me to start to think about uh, real estate. My, my parents were already into real estate. So I started to consider that as well. Um, another thing to definitely mention is that even, um, government policies uh, impact our income directly, right? So you mentioned the collective bargaining agreement. So for the most part, you know, it sets sort of those annual increases. And, um, you know, the, the more uh, time that you're working with that union, you're, you're kind of guaranteed that that wage increase, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in Ontario, they uh, introduced just a couple of years ago something called Bill 124. I don't know if you, has anyone ever mentioned it no. yet to you? Okay. It is specifically wage restraint legislation. So inflation okay. um, is actually at an all-time high, right? I think it's like 6%, mm-hmm. 8% per year. That's how much the cost of things is rising. Mm-hmm. But um, this legislation was actually sort of pushed through and passed that limited the uh, wages of uh, healthcare workers. There's actually a bunch of different uh, healthcare workers that are profession. There's actually, I think, 100,000 workers that are impacted. Okay. And it limited their wage increase annually to only 1%. So you can see that um, many right. healthcare You're workers are losing were... against inflation. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. And um, there's actually 33 unions that were involved. We actually took the, the the provincial government to court to say, hey, this legislation actually overrides the collective bargaining agreement and actually struck down the bill. Um, but then our government is actually going to appeal that decision, right? So they were saying, mm. oh, you know, this is like we need to sort of uh, uh, there's like um, financial reasons to. Um, to impose that bill, like you know, saying mm-hmm. that the, the provinces, the finances of the province are in jeopardy to save money, mm-hmm. but it's uh, you know, it's all just optics, right? Be- and literally, workers are, are leaving the profession because of this, right? Because yeah. we were expecting to get a certain wage increase, and now you're saying it's limited to only one percent a year. So mm-hmm. there, and there were literally protests, you know, on yeah. the media. Uh, uh, many of the provincial unions have been talking about it for several years now, maybe three years. Yeah. Um, but it's an ongoing fight when uh, legislation is, is actually limiting, literally, uh, you, know, uh, you know, limiting our wages, right? So absolutely, um, yeah. So definitely, even just look it up, Bill One Twenty Four, and there's lots of coverage about mm. uh, about this particular issue. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think that there's a lot of pieces that have impact, right? Like I know here in BC, um, paramedics are one of my saddest but favorite examples right like um part-time medics and how their pay scaling works is just a disaster over here um i don't understand why anyone does it uh because it feels very not worth it like if you have a shift where you're not called out you're like paid 13 bucks for the shift or something it's crazy um and so like you're just like how 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 do people how are people supposed to survive on that. I know I've also worked with people who are in corrections and there was a significant screw up in some of the systems that tracked some of their overtime for a number of years. And so there are still officers who have gone years without seeing pay for a huge chunk of their overtime that stretched over like a number of years. Um, And that still hasn't been sorted and fixed, even though years and years have gone by since that problem happened. Um, And many of them are just going like, I just expect I'll never see it. 
You're like, right, like that's just time you've given away for free to an employer trusting that you're going to get what you've earned at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, you kind of just get a big middle finger. And that's hard, right? Like it's hard when you're there doing really hard work and the work is not just a job, right? Like for very few people who enter this kind of work, it doesn't feel like just a job. It's not just a paycheck. It is like a passion work. It is a heart work. It is something we come into with some amount of our identity kind of raveled into it. Mm -hmm. And so it is really hard to feel like it's discounted or um, not sufficiently valued in a way that feels more tangible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we could go on with that for a really long time, you guys. There's so many examples. I know. Let's go this direction. Knowing that there are, you know, lots of different challenges, even in terms of things like wage restriction um, and pieces like this that are going on around us, aside from the, you know, multiple income stream piece, because I love that tip. What are some of the key pieces that first responders and frontline workers should be aware of and keep in mind when it comes to their finances? And what are some of the like tips and tricks you can offer um, that you might suggest to those who are serving on the front lines to support their financial literacy skills and growing their wealth? Um, yeah, so I'll speak to that first. So um, now that we are parents, I kind of just wanted to touch base on um, mm-hmm. you know, those who are uh, working parents, um, because that's kind of what we're going through right now. And, yeah. um, you know, for those who have young kids, um, we know that one of the most <laughs> expensive costs is, um, you know, signing up for, for daycare, childcare, mm-hmm. and um, to help with lessening the financial burden, um, I think within the past year, all of the uh, provinces and territories have signed on to the National Child Care Program, where um, I believe by 2025, um, it should reach um, $10 a day for daycare, um, which is really great. And so when we look back at 2022, uh, parents would be um, provided a 25% reimbursement um, from April mm-hmm. onwards. For 2023, it's uh, 50% reimbursement. Um, and then again, it, they're working towards $10 a day eventually. Okay. And so, I mean, it's not a, a perfect system. Of course, there's a lot of kinks to be um, figured out with that. And some provinces mm-hmm. are um, ahead of schedule, some are on track, and some are behind. Sure. Um, most likely the the smaller regions are able to kind of roll it out a bit faster, whereas mm-hmm. BC and Ontario, you know, we've got such a huge population and, and many totally. facilities um, to look after, so it will take some time. Yeah. Um, but the good news is that um, from the, the Government of Canada website, it says that uh, if you live in, in, say, BC or Ontario, families will save on average more than $9,000 annually, wow. um, you know, compared to what they're they're paying today, um, yeah. which really helps, um, you know, especially uh, in, in our inflationary times. And mm. with that, um, now that, um, you know, working parents can expect this type of money back, you know, going forward, um, 
it's key to really think about how you're going to now, like something you've earmarked for daycare, mm-hmm. and you're going to get some money back from the government. Um, what are you going to do with that money now, right? Because yeah. it kind of frees it up. And so some things to consider are, would you um, put money towards your children's future education, such as the RESP or the Registered Education Savings Plan? Mm-hmm. Um, another option is to work towards paying off debt, um, mm-hmm. especially if you are a homeowner and right. you may have a, a big chunk of your mortgage. And and if you are on a variable rate mortgage, your payments right have gone up and up and up, <laughs> right? Yes. So you may want to, um, you know, put in, say, a lump sum, depending mm-hmm. on what your mortgage contract is and, um, and the timing, it, it may work out um, or try to um, increase the frequency of your mortgage payments somehow just to kind of reduce the debt or even those who have credit card debt mm-hmm. as well, um, is very common, um, just to kind of help, uh, yeah, just pay down that Bring debt, down. which yeah. would be you know, alleviate, um, those financial pressures as well. And so, um, yeah, or even just work towards any other kind of savings goals that you have. Maybe you want to go on a family vacation because mm. during the last few years of the pandemic, we haven't been able to travel. So at least for our family, we're hoping to take um, a Disney cruise um, next yeah. year. So that's kind of one of our goals that we're, we're working towards. So Totally. Yeah. I love it. Well, I think that's a really great set of tips. And I think that's – it's funny. I – um, I've been following, uh, this pair of women who talk about investing for women, um, on social media. And one of the things that they talk about is if I can't manage a thousand dollars, I can't manage $10,000. Right. So the, I think hilarity of humanity is we have this tendency to spend what we make, no matter how much more we make. And we keep thinking, well, if I just make more, I'll be like, then, then I'll be able to save and then I'll be able to invest and then I'll be able to do these things. And to some extent, there is probably like a turning point where that becomes more true. But we find a way to fill our lifestyle to spend every penny we have if we have it. And so if we're not thinking about it, that nine grand a year I might save on childcare when that finally comes to exist and be in fruition I'm just going to spend that somewhere else, right? And so to be able to be forward thinking about that and go, okay, so that's coming. And when it comes, what do I want to do with it? And how do I be strategic with it? Which is, it kind of circles us back to this piece I said before that one of the things I find about a lot of people, but specifically quite a lot of people who are in this kind of work, is that financially they tend to be quite reactive. They're, They're always catching up to the last problem they had to solve. Right. So like the roof is leaking. Now I have to work a bunch of extra overtime to pay down the line of credit I had to take out to cover that cost rather than having thought, oh, I probably should have like an emergency home expenses savings account that I put like 50 bucks into every month. Mm -hmm. And then at least like it may not have covered the whole roof, but it might have covered half. And then I would have to work half as many overtime shifts to help make this up later. Right. And if I had put that into like a TFSA or like a something that I can pull it back out of, but it's earning something while it's sitting there, maybe I'd be a little further ahead than if I hadn't saved for it at all or if I'd saved for it into an account that makes nothing on it, 
right? And so it is, it's this piece about kind of getting proactive and being aware and intentional with our financial choices. Behind the Line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, This program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot. Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. Yeah, I definitely agree that it's, uh, you know, um, yeah, it's a great opportunity to kind of have that mindset set shift and think about Mm -hmm. what you anticipate will happen. Um, So then that way you can work towards it. And so that when it does happen, it's uh, doesn't feel like such a a big burden. Mm -hmm. I guess I should add that, you know, my biggest tip is actually to have a a household monthly and annual budget. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're a manager at any department, you have to uh, manage budgets already. And to your point about if, if you can't, if you don't even budget your money now, you, Mm -hmm. you will actually end up spending everything. So, I mean, the three biggest costs for every household are going to be housing, transportation, and food. So even yeah. if you can track those uh, and, and then start to actually see how much is left over so you can have a savings rate, uh, that's going to be a, a, a huge win because you can actually start to plan for the future. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and even to mention a, a previous, uh, you know, a personal example for us is we're starting to look at um, getting rid of our gas-powered car. Mm-hmm. And so with the environment, you know, concerns, the price of gasoline, Right. When I mean, the price of gasoline is guaranteed to rise forever. I don't know if people uh, this news to anyone, but uh, once we start, (laughs) I don't think anyone's holding out hope that it's going back down to 27 cents a liter anytime (laughs) soon. (laughs) And and the government is banking on that. Right. There is actually Mm -hmm. uh, policies that the the tax that's in gasoline is going to it's a it's an elevator every year. It's going to go higher and higher. Yeah. So. Because the whole point is to, to get rid of the, the gas power cars, to th- think about hybrid vehicles and electric mm-hmm. vehicles, right? So we've, you know, we test drove a couple of uh, electric vehicles. And even for us, we've already committed to getting uh, like a RAV4 hybrid as our, as our next vehicle. Because yeah. once we saw gas prices hitting $2 a liter, we're like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we should start to uh, rethink this. Especially for people that drive, uh, you know, import cars like BMWs, Mercedes, they have premium gas, right? Or like imagine yeah. having to pay a premium just to drive the exact same car. Um, yeah. So, you know, switching to an electric vehicle will actually save 1800 to $2,500, um, right? So so these are huge savings that, that uh, you know, everyone, every one of your listeners should definitely be thinking about um, mm. because... Yeah, you know, and just by switching the car, then, you know, you're automatically sort of getting those those savings. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think one of the things 
I've had to teach myself about budgeting. I had a family who did not do money well. That was not my early learning. Um, And I think my takeaway from that was I really wanted to do it different than they did. Um, But without knowing any tools to figure that out. And so a lot of it has been like learning on the fly and learning from mistakes and figuring it out as you go. I always wrestled with budgeting because it felt like work. Um, I love that there's really great tools now that make it less work. Like I remember when I started doing it, it was like an Excel spreadsheet and there was like a lot of effort into the tracking and the monitoring. I love that now there's things that just like sync to your bank account and tell you where you spent things. That's magical. Um, But with that, I think one of the mindset shifts I've really enjoyed and our family has really enjoyed is it almost lets you gamify it. So my husband does all of our grocery shopping um, and he is a bit impulsive in how he grocery shops because he's like, oh, that looks yummy and I'm hungry. And so throw that in. Um, And so I have been like, okay, here's the thing. Our grocery spending has been up here. I'm not cool with that number. Like looking at that number and knowing our family of four has eaten that much money worth of food grosses me out. (laughs) I like double dare you to spend $50 less each time you're grocery shopping. And we're a highly competitive family. That's just true about us. And so he's like, dare taken, right? Like (laughs) challenge accepted. And he goes out and he's like, okay, Lindsay said $50 less. And then he'll come home and he'll be like, I did it. Like, he's like, so (laughs) stick it to you. Like, oh yeah. You like, it's so great that we can kind of like, instead of it being this punitive thing, like we have to buckle down, we have to contain it. We have to keep it small where it feels restrictive. It feels like like a dare. It feels like a game. It feels like something you get to win if you do it. And that makes it very differently kind of fun to participate in instead of feeling like this really crappy thing you're stuck with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For us, I think we we like to um, use um, PC optimum points to kind of I guess yes. gamify our shopping totally. experience. So yeah, yeah. Well, and I know that like so we just did a trip to Disney in November. And um, (laughs) this was one of my, like, you know, the commercial, the Ikea commercial where the woman's running out and she got such a good deal and she's yelling at her husband, start the car. That's how this moment felt for me. Um, I literally said it to my husband, start the car as I clicked (laughs) the like complete order button because we had acquired so many air miles on our MasterCard and it's like the fancy MasterCard um that gets you like bonus miles on anything so we always get gas at shell because that gets us bonus miles and we always shop at the places that get us bonus miles Mm -hmm. and we had funded things like furnishing our offices using that credit card and very intentionally so that we could get the bonus miles I got us like a trip for four people flights hotel for nine days and five days of park passes all on points, I paid $1,200. Wow. And it was, right? And I was like, start the car, honey, start the car. We're going to Disneyland. It's going to be wow. great. And it was so much fun to be like, all we really paid for this trip was that 1200 bucks and food. And like the things we decided to bring home with us, which felt so fantastic. That's incredible. I know. It helped that COVID was a thing and we spent money but didn't go anywhere. So that really helped us stockpile. (laughs) But it is. It's kind of cool to be like, oh, right. Like we don't – it doesn't have to feel constraining 
it can feel kind of fun to feel like you're you're gaming the system, like you're winning over this thing that's intended to make you feel like you're losing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> Cool. All right, Albert, I know that you have to run. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you need to go, thanks so much for being here. Okay, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And Sandy, I'm hoping that I can get like two more minutes with you um, because I would love for you to have a chance to share a little bit about your book. I know that I have a copy. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm really excited to dig into it um, for my own purposes. And I have copies of your book and Albert's book to offer as giveaways Um, So for those listening, connect on our social media and we'll be doing some giveaway pieces in the next little bit here. But I would love for you to share a little bit about some of what people could expect to find in your book and how that might be of value to the kind of population that we're speaking to today. Yes, for sure. And I actually um, can stay on a bit longer. So Perfect. I'm, I'm not short on time. <laughs> You're not in the rut. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I can definitely uh, mention uh, my book and a bit about Albert's as well, if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, so first off, um, for mine, I... Uh, so my book is called The Money Master, Inside Secrets on How to Make Your Money Grow and Stay yeah. Safe. <laughs> there it is. It's probably backwards in the camera. <laughs> and um, I really um, I focus on teaching um, female millennials on how they can build their wealth uh, through mm. three main pillars, through investing in the stock market, investing in real estate, and also through starting your own business. Because um, mm-hmm. those are the kind of like, the experiences I have, and um, I thought that it would be, um, you know, those kind of most common ways for people mm-hmm. to build wealth. And um, yeah, just going through like all my experiences um, and money mistakes, and so mm-hmm. um, just being able to kind of um, share that in writing and to you know just to help um, uh, my peers to kind of um, get their their finances um, you know organized and to feel like they're yeah. in control and to gain that confidence of handling their money. Um, you know, it's been a, a really rewarding experience. That's amazing. I mean, I I think that there's so much value in helping people figure out how to get the most value out of their money, right? Like, I think we forget Mm -hmm. that money is a tool that we get to use, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's not just this thing that comes and disappears from our lives. We get to choose how we utilize it. And so it's fantastic when there's people who can, like, skillfully help us understand how to utilize that tool more effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then do you want to share a little bit about Albert's book? Uh, sure. Yes. Yeah. So um, his is called Checkmate. Hold on. That's one. Yes. How to win the sales game in healthcare. Um, so for Albert, when um, he was mentioning earlier that he worked um, – uh, in a, he partnered um, uh, to open up a CPAP clinic yeah. um, here in on uh, here in Toronto. So he learned um, all the different um, you know uh, sales strategies to help um, you know gain clients and to grow his CPAP business. And mm-hmm. at the time when he was running it, he didn't have like a how to guide, and wow. so he also kind of. Um, yeah, tried different uh, methods, and you know, he'd have to go speak um, with uh, doctors and go into their physicians' offices and mm-hmm. and make the pitches. Um, yeah. And so he has, um, you know, his um, hero method um, checklist, and he just talks about the different strategies and different um, 
audiences because he also talks to uh, talks about how to sell to hospitals and uh, mm. yeah and different um tar- target demographics and so yeah. um yeah and so mm-hmm. and his is more healthcare focused so. yeah for sure well and i know he talks quite a lot about um like staff retention and i think that's more in his keynote speaking potentially but um, I loved some of the pieces in his bio around kind of recognizing the challenges being faced by healthcare um, at a systems level and how that filters down into how we're staffing at the frontline level. Um, and so I think that's a really unique kind of piece that he's bringing and, and sharing about with healthcare systems is how do we treat our people better so that mm-hmm. they don't want to run for the hills so badly, <laughs> mm-hmm. which feels very relevant right now. Exactly. I mean, for him, um, you know, working as a frontline nurse in, in several hospitals here in Toronto, um, you know, he's had that experience uh, of of going through, you know, working those um, you know, day and night shifts and working mm-hmm. overtime and, and getting burnt out. And so, um, and now um, as a project manager, he works on different, um, yeah, all these uh, critical projects, whether it's virtual urgent care. Um, and so, um, yeah, for him, he has now kind of yeah involved evolved um, his keynote presentation to talk mm. more about how um, you know whether it's HR or um, you know um, executives or um, senior managers can help improve the employee culture um, mm. you know to make sure that their staff are taken care of and focus on their well-being um, and different strategies to make sure that they are um, you know putting their frontline workers first and yeah, um, yeah whether it's better benefits or uh, improved um, compensation um, mm. yeah so he he Uh, shares a lot about that in his talks. That's awesome. Okay. Before we wrap up, I want to check in with you if there's any kind of parting thoughts, last pieces that we didn't get to touch on that you feel like would be valuable for the people that are listening. Uh, For sure. Yeah. So um, I wanted to share three tips um, so that, um, you know, for those who are listening and feel that uh, you know, sometimes your schedules are just crazy busy and yeah, working crazy hours. There are several things that you can do uh, to improve your financial situation that won't uh, seem too daunting. So the first one is to, well, listen to podcasts uh, like yours, yeah. but also um, ones that are specific to um uh, personal finance podcasts mm-hmm. and um, you can listen to it while you're driving to and from work or even totally. when you have your your couple of days off right so it's just something easy uh, to do like we have a Spotify subscription so we're mm-hmm. you know listening to podcasts all the time whether it's in the car or at home um, so there's that and then my next tip is to um, think about ways you can automate um, your finances and specifically um, automate your savings. So first off, um, 
what I talked about kind of paying yourself first. You can yeah. go into your online banking account and you can set up these automated transfers. You can set the the frequency or like the the amount of time you want to do that. And it's always adjustable if your life, you know, situation yeah. changes or you can't always um, make certain uh, savings commitments. You can always adjust it. Uh, totally. But I find that automating things makes it one less thing that you have to worry about and when you're Mm -hmm. setting aside money towards your savings account that way um you know you are balancing kind of what you are spending on your everyday needs but also working towards your future goals which is really important um and then also automating into um with your employer if they if they do offer some kind of pension or maybe stock options, um, you know, or any kind of employee matching program, um, mm. be sure to take advantage of that because uh, billions of dollars are being wasted every year by Canadians not taking advantage and opting into those programs where mm. employers are literally offering free money on the table. Mm. Um, so that's an easy way to do that. And um, my third tip is to take a course um, on personal finance. And one of my favorite ones, and it's a pretty popular one, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's the uh, McGill University personal uh, finance mm-hmm. course. Okay, And so it's um, a free online course. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has eight modules. It's self-paced. I think it's mainly videos, um, but they've got the, uh, I believe they have the the transcript um, there. And after um, each module, there's a little quiz to test your knowledge. And then once you complete the eight modules, you'll get a certificate and then you can actually get a LinkedIn badge as well, and you can post mm. it on your profile. So that one is a really great course because it covers a lot of um, good, like fundamental um, topics uh, for personal yeah. finance, and hey, and it's free, right? So yeah, I mean that's great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, good one. I mean, I think I invested quite a lot into a course recently. Actually, um, I've really enjoyed it, in part because it's not just. Um, like finance tools. It's also really grounded around how we build a relationship to money. And I've really appreciated that piece of it. It's by Dow Janes and they Mm -hmm. are the ones I shared about earlier who talk a lot about um, investing for women. Um, And I, what I really liked is there was an entire module about healing your relationship with money. And it was all of these pieces about how our upbringing creates biases and associations to different pieces around how we think about money and how many of those will tend to hold us back from believing that we are deserving of wealth, that we are inclined towards seeking out wealth. Um, I found it super fascinating when I walked through some of the process and I was like, oh, I did not know that's what I thought about that. But here we are. And now I have to kind of tangle with, is that really what I choose to want to think? And how do I change how I think about that kind of piece. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was just really interesting because I think there's a lot of of programs that give you a lot of the like strategic tools for how money works and how investing works and how to pay down your debt. And and all of that is awesome. But I think if you don't, I mean, maybe this is therapist speaking, but if you don't heal some of the like root stuff that leads Mm -hmm. us to think about ourselves in relationship to money differently, we're likely to just re-engage the same patterns over and mm-hmm. over again. So I've really liked that piece about how they talk about it. 
Um, and I think it's just like a valuable piece to consider regardless of whether you take their course or not. This really interesting piece around like, how do I relate to money? How was I trained to relate to money? Mm-hmm. And what like what do I think when I think about someone who's wealthy versus someone who I think is poor? And what are my associations to those things that mm-hmm. I need to maybe like course correct for so that I feel like I get to be someone who chooses to work towards wealth mm-hmm. without feeling like, oh, that's for those people, those people who I associate with these things, mm-hmm. not for me even though I would really like the freedom that would afford me if I could have it. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why um, it, in my book, uh, the very first chapter that I talk about, um, it's called um, developing um, a millionaire mindset. And I really yeah. wanted to touch upon, yeah, how people um, think about money or even, um, you know, whether the, their childhood upbringing and, and uh, yeah. forgiving them uh, themselves of their money mistakes, because sometimes mm. we just, you know, feel so guilty or ashamed of. I love of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I definitely yeah. wanted to, to talk about that right from the beginning, because if you don't mm. have that right mindset, um, you know, I think, and I think, um, you know, for even for me, it was a, a lot of like scarcity mindset growing up. And yes. so I had to like change that to an abundance mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like an overnight thing, but it, you know, it takes time, right. To, to, yeah. to work on that. So. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that that's a piece in your book as well. Like I said, I didn't get a chance to read it yet, but I'm really excited to do <laughs> it now. Yeah. I think one of the best tips that I have gotten out of the course I'm taking right now, um, that I want to add to your three tips is one of the things they encourage is to have a weekly money date. And I've been doing it for the last five or six weeks now. It's my favorite night of the week. Um, And I didn't think it would be. And like, they really encourage you to like set it up very self-carry. Like for me, my choice is it's Friday nights. My husband goes out Friday nights. It's once my kids are in bed and he's gone. And I get to sit down with like a nice glass of wine and my laptop, and I go through and review what my spending has been that week and check that all of my transactions are listed in my online budgeting system. And Mm -hmm. I get to kind of go through and see where my savings are going and where my spending is going and and kind of that gamifying piece, like where am I winning Mm -hmm. and where am I losing and need to challenge myself for next week or next month to try to make it better, right? And it's been actually really liberating to get to go. I feel more in control of it when I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when we only interact with it, like once every two weeks when we got our paycheck or once a month when we have to pay the mortgage, Uh it's like not enough touch points to really feel like you're on top of it and you're the one bossing it. Uh It kind of feels like this thing where it's just like happening, like stuff just comes out of that checking account, stuff goes into the things (laughs) I don't know. Suddenly my credit card went from like $1,000 to $5,000. How did that happen? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when when it's weekly, it's been really interesting just to feel like I feel like I hold the reins instead of Mm -hmm. things just happening out from under me. Mm -hmm. And that feels really empowering. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, um, even for my husband and I, um, yeah, we we both keep an eye on, um, yeah, our online banking accounts, um, checking our credit card bills, mm-hmm. um, yeah, keeping track of our, our mortgage payments as well, even um, our household budget um, to our net worth 
um, yeah. calculations as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, we, we make sure that we touch base every month. Um, yeah. but individually we're, we're always keeping track of, uh, at least on a weekly basis as well. Yeah, totally. Okay. Sandy, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been really lovely to get a chance to talk with you and to like bridge in some very tangible, real wisdom into something that I think a lot of people feel is really nebulous. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just really value what you do and what you're bringing. And thank you for taking the time to come on and chat with me. Yeah, no, this has been fantastic. I feel like time just flew by so quickly. (laughs) It does that, like I said. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again to Sandy and Albert for taking the time to join me today. Don't forget to check the links in the show notes if you want to learn more about their work, including their books, The Money Master, What They Don't Teach You About Wealth and Investing, and Checkmate, How to Win the Sales Game in Healthcare, both of which you can win if you also click the link to jump over to either of my social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. Follow me there. Find more information about how you can win a free copy of one of these great books. I also want to extend a big thank you to you, amazing listeners, for continuing to spend time with me here. If you value this podcast and want to help us in our mission to support frontline wellness, there are three ways you can do just that. Number one, rate and review behind the line on Apple podcast or wherever you're listening. Number two, Follow me on social media at Lindsay A. Foss and engage with me and this little amazing community that we're building there. Every time that you like, comment, and share our posts, you help us spread our message like wildfire, thanks to the magic of the algorithm. Number three, share this resource or our other resources with those you know, whether that's forwarding our weekly newsletter onto your friends and coworkers listening to the podcast as part of a team meeting, or using our burnout indicators checklist and triage guide as a staff-wide tool. Every little bit helps us take our mission to the next level and serve those who are sacrificing so much to serve our communities out on the front lines. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. We make all of our resources available to you because the work you do matters. But more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your real life outside of work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.